0: I will embrace that you accept me for who I am. I'm still working on that. Well, I want to pray. I think I need it. (laughs) Heavenly Father, God, I am so privileged to be in front of this audience today. And Lord, I know that this is a divine appointment for me personally, and I pray also for the women here that they would hear what you want to say to them, Lord. I pray that you would anoint this time that we have, God, that you would speak through me, Lord, and that you would humble me, God, and just be, um, just your spirit would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, all, for that lovely opening. (laughs) I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on the operating table, and you're getting open-heart surgery. And your whole life is in the hands of this surgeon. And all you can do is trust that he will do the right thing, but you're wide open, full vulnerability. And now imagine that you're awake and you can feel the poking and the prodding that the surgeon is doing. And you have no idea what's actually going on because you can't see what he's doing. All you can do is put your hands in that surgeon knowing that he is in control and that he will heal you and that it's all for a greater good. So that is what actually has been happening to me over the last six months. And I want to share with you the journey of my heart. And it's been pretty profound. A lot of what I'm going to talk about relates to what Jenny was sharing about identity. So I have been on quite a journey related to the identity of my heart. So the whole point of what I want to share and how it relates to you is that we've got to embrace our real selves. So I'll say that again more directly to you because God's been saying it to me for a long time. It's so important to embrace the real you. And we can do that by finding our identity in Christ. And the benefit to you if you do this is that you will have freedom and peace in your life. And I never really thought that, I didn't even know that I wasn't free until I saw and felt the work that he's done in me the last six months. It's really culminated in the last six months actually. So here are the three things. There's a handout here for those of you linear thinkers. We have a handout, and I'm going to make sure that I tell you in advance, because I do tend to jump around, but I'm actually pretty good. I've, I've, my type is more is idealist. I'm an ENFP. So I do tend to jump around. I like spontaneity. I don't really like schedules, but, you know, I have to conform to our society. And I, I, I want people to like me, because it's important for us to have harmony as ENFPs. So anyway, three things. How do I see myself? How does God see me? And then what can I do about it? So that's where we're gonna go. So I like to have a balance of practicality and fun. So we're gonna look at a little bit of both of those things. Not that a lot of what I've been going through has been fun, but it has certainly all been worth it. And for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, you probably saw New Year's Eve, I said it's been the hardest year of my life, but the best year of my life. And out of great trial comes great triumph. So I wish great victory for each of you as well. So let's get started. Looking at how do you see yourself? What labels would you say that you put on yourselves? How do you see yourself? Take a moment just to throw out any labels that you identify with. How do you label yourself? Strong. Strong. That's great. I don't usually hear that one. What are some other labels? Aware. Aware. This is like a positive crowd. (laughs) These are not the labels that I've been calling myself. I think I need to hang around some of you more often. What labels? Tell me some more labels. Resilient. Resilient. Loud. Loud. Nice. Said with a nice projected voice, dude. What what else? Let's hear some more. What's that? Stressed. Stressed. Emotional. Emotional. You're an ENFP. Yes, Yes, you are. I, I know my type. So, I'm sorry, what else? Other, confused. Mm -hmm. I would tend to think that maybe some of the ones that we aren't saying, and maybe I'm wrong, I could have all of us pegged wrong, but I have worked with a lot of women, and I've lived with myself my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I I say things like, wow, I'm not good enough, I'm ugly, I couldn't be, I I can never actually lose the weight that I've been wanting to lose my entire life, I will never meet a man I will never have somebody that will actually pursue me. What good am I? Do I have any value? I don't think I have any value. Those are a lot of the things that I've said to myself. And I imagine that some of you might identify with that. So I want to talk a little bit about how often we have a distorted view of ourselves. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. And sometimes there's a really weird dichotomy between the two, and that's what I've noticed in myself. So in thinking about the ideal self, sometimes we have, we have this ideal self or false self, and this is where God has really been stretching me in the last six months in particular. Kind of the last few years, but in the last six months. I, had, I don't really think I had such a idea of how false I was a lot of the times. Laurel, I wanted to mention, she called, um, she called Jenny and I jointly something like amazing professionals. And I was like, that's right. I am, I am an amazing professional, (laughs) but the reality with that is that I've always looked at myself as that from an accomplishment perspective, because that is how I got love as a child. How could I do more? How could I be more? What more could I accomplish so that somebody would like me or somebody would love me, particularly my dad? So in thinking about that, yeah, great, she's got you know, all her stuff together, she's got various businesses, whatever. But the sad part is I couldn't see, I can't or couldn't see that I'm an amazing person. It wasn't until a couple of years ago on a vacation in Mexico that I realized, oh my gosh, all this time I've been trying to prove to myself that I'm good enough by doing more stuff Anybody identify with this? More performance? If, I'm just, if I could do one more thing, if I could add one more thing to my to-do list. But the reality is, I wasn't seeing the fact that I'm actually just good enough being me. And that's actually who God created. And like Jenny said before, it's almost like we, we I'm sort of maybe twisting your words a little bit, but we do a disservice to ourselves and others when we're not actually being ourselves. And that was a, a, a new thing for me to realize. Some of you may remember our beloved Pastor Marty, who has now gone on to serve at Mercy Ships. Well, a few years ago, I was struggling in a relationship, and actually this guy was pursuing me. So I met with Marty, and I came with my laundry list of stuff that this guy just wasn't good enough for me on. Like, oh, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. There's no way this guy could ever like, match up to me, because I'm so perfect. You know, that's kind of what was in my head. And the funny thing is, throughout my life, I've been pretty much, because of this accomplishment thing, I have been a leader in various sorts throughout my life, and it all started as a kid. So it's been a comfortable place for me to be, to be in a role of leadership. Well, sitting across from him, and I have been complimented highly for my accomplishments, so I'm used to that. I want to just say that context, because this is where I was coming from in my head, like how great I am. He sits there, and I said, Marty, I mean, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. Why would I even want to be with this guy? He's like, Karen, you are going to have to lower your expectations. And I was in shock. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? I am not going to lower my expectations. I thought he was nuts, because I'm thinking, you're supposed to, you know, always strive to be better and have excellence. And, and then I said, why? Tell me why. I was kind of irritated. And he goes, Karen, because you're not perfect. And I was like, (laughs) are you kidding me? I was shocked. Like nobody has ever said that to me before. (laughs) But what's so funny about it is that intellectually, if you had asked me, hey, are you perfect? Of course I would have said no. But emotionally, it's like I embodied the feeling that I actually was. And for some reason, that is where my false self comes in. But then the dichotomy is that I have this whole false self going on, having this image of self portrayed before other people, and yet at the same time, it's really to cover up this insecurity. And I think the biggest question that probably most of us ask, and maybe we don't even bother to ask, will people really like me if they knew the real me? And that is what I have been learning throughout these past few months. And I wanna say to you, being the real you is so essential because yes, people will like you if you are the real you. Now, I can't guarantee that. But who cares? You can't expect everybody to like you. And again, for those of you NFs, is it the NF? Yeah. For those of you NFs, we want everybody to like us, because, maybe because we think we're so great, but maybe also, more importantly, because we want that harmony. But we don't have to care about what everybody thinks about us. I know we do, but the reality is Jesus already accepts us for who we are. And if we can stay grounded in that reality, then we won't be so fragmented all over the place. And in the Word of God, it talks about the tumbleweed going around that we can be tossed to and fro fro by the wind, essentially, if we are not strong and clear in who we are. So let's see here. Another thing is, I feel like the other element is sometimes we feel invisible. Maybe some of you can identify with this. And I think a, a big question that some of us, may ask ourselves is, is there even a space for me in the table of life? And I want you to know that there is, that God created you to be here. He did not make a mistake when he created you, each of you. Now, let's take a look at how do you hide. So this is in your, in your handout there. I just want you to take a minute to think about what might you be hiding behind, or what practices in your life, perhaps, do you do that make you hide? Like for me, busyness is a really easy one to hide behind. Oh, I'm so busy, everybody's so busy. Like, have you met, ever met anybody, and you say, how are you doing? They say, I'm really bored. I have nothing to do, no responsibility. We're all busy all the time. And I think a lot of times we just get in this routine where we just keep going and going and going and going, and we don't stop and actually ask ourselves the question. Jenny alluded to this earlier, too. Like, how often do we actually stop and say, Who am I? And what do I want? And I think one of the biggest challenges for me was actually recognizing that, as this is the whole theme of, as I'll be weaving throughout this, is that. Am I really good enough? Like, is it OK to just be that as opposed to this ideal me? And a few months ago, I was staying with some friends in a hotel room. And we were processing all of this stuff because most of my friends are processors. And those friends who aren't are very tolerant of me because I'm the one that analysis paralysis. <laughs> like, Let's talk about this again. How many different options could we look at? Because the possibilities are endless. So. Um, we're looking at all of these things and all of the options. So I'm in this hotel room and I said to my friends, I go, you know what? Like this was kind of right as I was on the cusp of realizing it's okay to just be me. I said, I have to admit, like the ideal me is a lot more exciting. And I kind of laughed and they were laughing, but as I've realized, it, it's not because it's that masquerade that Jenny was talking about. And if I think about kind of a visual for where I've come from in my life, and it's like this big balloon. It's like I had this sort of ideal false self and this image that I've created, and popping that a little bit, like kind of deflating that in a good way because I, I often have this sort of elitist attitude, like I think I'm better than other people, and some of us probably identify with that. Looking at, we're, we're all, especially as women, we're always sizing people up. You know, you might get here and go, oh, does she have cuter clothes than me? Hmm, hmm, wow, her makeup looks really good. I should try that color. Oh, what lipstick are you wearing? Oh, you know, there's, there's, these things are constantly going on in our heads, and it's natural, and it's just what we do as human beings. So it's important to accept that that's just the way we are, but then to recognize that and say, okay, well, what can I do about that? So take just a moment to ask yourself how you hide and jot that down, on that piece of paper there. Now I realize in an audience of this many people it might not be uh, appropriate for everybody that you want to share, but does anybody want to share how they hide? Anybody wanna just throw that out? And if not, I totally understand. <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> what was that? Here. Yes? I, I just hide. You just hide, like isolate? Well yeah, I think that's part of my temperament is too. Like myself and mm-hmm. talking, sure. and that's part of my temperament is But I don't know if we're in the category of being wise, like sometimes you have to be wise to discern people's moments. You do. Mm-hmm. Because one side of the coin. The other side is that um has to do with like maybe traumas that you went through and Sure. Have, sure. And absolutely. You, you're not sure if you can would really jump over there or hurt all. Mm-hmm. And and, mm-hmm. and their traumas have to do with men, especially living in the principality that is over us, so that has a lot to do with the homosexual and fornication and a lot of that is it just plain accepted. So I'm just gonna interrupt you for just a second. I'm sorry, just for the sake of time. Yeah. So we isolate, we hide. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you so and I'd be happy, so happy to talk with you more after. So what is another one? Just throw out words. Read, read, a, book. read a book. What else? Focus on other people. <laughs> one more? One more? Behind success. Behind success, yeah. And I, I will piggyback on that off on that one. I think it's enough said there, but, you know, my professional life isn't a problem, it's the personal life. And I think that's the thing, to me, that's most important, is how are we hiding our heart? And that, to me, was really tragic when I realized that. Because there was somebody very significant in my life in October who um, basically said, you're not being honest with yourself. And that was just, I mean, that changed my world. And I said, what? And there's more to the story. But basically, what he said was, you need to honor who you are and look at your heart and ask yourself, who are you? And what we'll get more into God's role in that and what we can do about it in just a minute. But some of us know how exhausting it is to strive. It's just striving constantly in this, this whole, am I good enough? That all we really want to do is be known. Anybody seen the movie Avatar? Okay, so you'll, you'll identify with this. If you haven't, you'll still get it. And by the way, I haven't seen the movie. But <laughs> so I get it and I'm talking about it. So I was in yoga class. I've learned so much from yoga, by the way. I used to hate yoga because it bored me to tears. Anybody else? Like you go to yoga, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here. I'm just stretching. I'm not doing anything. I need to be, you know, doing aerobics and kickboxing and moving. But this whole practice of forcing myself to be uncomfortable with with the yoga experience has been amazing because of that just being silent and being there internally and looking inside. And for an extrovert, that's particularly challenging because I want to talk to people. What do you think about this pose? How am I doing this? Think I could do it better? (laughs) Come here, let's talk about it and gather around. Let's do a little process group about it while we're at it. Anyway, at the end of class, the guy says, we're all sitting there, and you're all sitting there in your little, like, prayer position thing, and he says, in the movie Avatar, the aliens, instead of saying, I love you, they say, I see you, and he's like, so I want you to know, and he just bowed, and he's like, I see you, and I think a lot of times, we don't feel seen, we feel invisible, And I think that's the big journey for me is that I've just been stripping off like layers and layers of the mask and allowing people in to know me and then also realizing that I actually am really likable as the real me. So I want to encourage each of you to realize that you are good enough and in fact more than good enough because you are God's creation. It's really important to be aware of your patterns and your themes. Jenny talked about like, people-pleasing, things like perfectionism. Any other control freaks in the room? <laughs> okay, yeah, me too. Recovering, I should say. I'm getting much better. Do you know that I travel a lot, about 50% of my time is traveling. A United agent last week came up to me and he said, you are tranquil. I said, you're kidding. <laughs> Like, normally I go to the airport, I give myself like 20 minutes before the flight, I know I can make it, and I have all the elite status so that I can get through. And uh, actually, Maggie emailed me and said, you must have been at the airport early. And I said, yeah, I was. I wouldn't have been tranquil tranquil if I had been doing my manic normal behavior. But getting there early, anyway, point being, actually, I've had two people besides that guy in the last six months tell me that I seem more relaxed. And even somebody I hadn't seen in about a year said, you know, there's space. I feel, I don't know what it is, but it just feels like there's space there. Because sometimes I can just be like a bulldozer, but like I've got this schedule, I've got this, I've got that, I've got that. And I don't leave any room for really anybody to get in unless I think, you know, you're good enough for me. Now, I'm kind of kidding. Okay. (laughs) Because like I told you, I want you to know that doesn't come from a place of arrogance. And I hope that you hear me on that. It really comes from a place of just not feeling like I was adequate or worth it. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. You can just take a look at that at some point. But specifically, I wanted to just speak to how God tells us to search our hearts. And still in this, this category of how do I see myself. Search your heart. We'll talk more about how you can ask God to do that. But it's so important to be clearly defined. Those of you know my, my sort of dating life, I've kind of had a coming out party in the last six months, finally feeling like I'm good enough to, you know, to, to get a date. Okay, well, what I want to say is I had this horrible date about two weeks ago. <laughs> This guy was absolutely. I, I thought he was so. He was so promising the first date. I gave him a second date, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And the second date, he, basically, he called. I, I, we don't want to get into politics here, but but he's like, he called Nelson Mandela a communist, and he called the Pope the Antichrist. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this like, and there was no room for discussion. It was just like, this is the way it is. I'm like, you know what? I need to get out of this car. <laughs> somebody, somebody, save me now. But it was funny because, you know, when you are it's hard to be around people that are undefined. So what happened was you go into the shop, sandwich shop, and I said, well, what do you want to drink? Because he was getting the sandwich, I was getting the drink. And I, I, said, I said, what do you want? He says, whatever you have. And there were probably a hundred choices in this particular deli. <laughs> Most men do not like the things I like to drink. I do kind of the fruity, just a little, not a lot of sugar, but, you know, kind of the fancy, whatever. But not like a, a Coke or something like that. So... I remember thinking this is such a good example of somebody who's undefined. Because when you're around people that always go, and I think probably more common, probably all of us aren't out there dating right now, but think about when you're with a group of friends. Where do you want to go eat? Oh, I don't know, wherever you want to go. I don't care. And this, there can be discussions that go on and on related to that. And with this, the more defined you are, like, I just find it re- it's a relief to be around people who know what they want, at least on some level. Because it's, it's easier to, to just, no, you're not wavering all the time. And my mom is really undefined, too, because she always wants everybody to be happy. She says, "Oh, I'd really love to go to this Chinese place. And then I say something else, well, how about this other place? Maybe here's some other options, because I like options. I'm the NF again. She likes the concrete. Let's just pick one and go. So I open up options, and she says, oh, well, honey, would you rather go there? Well, we can go there instead. I'm like, Mom, what do you want? And then we get into this whole, like, everybody trying to keep each other happy, and it's just irritating. (laughs) So all that to say, try to think about getting more clear about who you are and then what you want. What are your preferences? And sometimes it's easier to start with what you don't want. Like, here are the things that I don't like or I don't want, and this is something that I'm really strong on. Sometimes there's black and whites, and then there's a lot of gray. Unfortunately for me, there's been a lot of gray, <laughs> and that's why it's been harder for me to be defined as a person. And even with some other dates in the earlier part of my dating career, in the last six months, I had a couple. One guy called me, and he—he's—we're talking for a while, and then he goes, "Well, let me pray for us." So at the end, he goes, "Lord, I pray for Susan." And I'm like, "What?" Like, But this is I'm not Susan. But like, most normal people would have hung up on him. But I'm like, you know, I know there's a lot of people on EHarmony, and like, maybe you thought I was someone clearly you thought it was someone else because it got, it got worse. I, I waited and stopped till he's finished praying. He's like. Thank you for Susan and her son Brad. I'm like, what? Like, okay, anyway. So, and then I had another guy who called me 3 times thinking I was his sister Karen. And then somebody said to me later, "Why do you think it is that men are so confused around you?" <laughs> so, I'm sitting there going, "What?" And the funny thing, that that I was very confused because I'm thinking, I know well, maybe I don't know what I want. I thought I knew what I want. Who am I? Oh, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. And it started this journey of I need to get clear about who I am so that these men aren't confused around me. <laughs> because I do think there's something sort of, you know, that, that happens just out there that, that the men can read that stuff. Anyway. I digress. My dating my dating life is very exciting right now. <laughs> okay. So be careful about finding your identity in others. That's a big thing that was a huge problem for me, really looking at men, well, primarily men. And that's unfortunately a symptom of my, my childhood and my upbringing. I just never felt like I was good enough. I didn't get the attention that I needed. And I know my dad did his best, but he also wasn't aware of all this temperament stuff, nor would he have probably cared. But, you know, he, he was a good provider, all that, but he didn't know how to connect with me emotionally. So I always felt like, I, I just always felt this longing and this hunger for, for a man to want me, and that has carried me throughout most of my adult life. So it's so important to be careful about recognizing that you, we can often suppress our needs and do everything for everybody else and not really look at who am I and what do I want and not honor ourselves. So keep in mind that it is okay to have needs. A lot of times we think that it isn't. And I'll give you just one other story here related to my identity. I can't guarantee there's only one other story. Who am I kidding? I'm sure there'll be more. But my goal is to tell you this one right now. So I was in Southern California in this process group that I'm in with 10 people. And it's with the author John Townsend, who wrote the book Boundaries with Henry Cloud. Just a phenomenal experience, and I've been part of that now for about a year and a half. Anyway, I was down there in this process group, and we were doing really fun stuff like reenacting my childhood, and (laughs) definitely pretty painful but interesting. Well, what happened was afterward, this guy, the therapist, joined us for lunch. And then later on, not not that day, but later on as as I've gotten to know this person, he said to me, you know, Karen, that day I actually saw three Karens. I'm like, whoa, tell me more. I'm now even more confused about my identity. But he said, in the role play in your childhood, I saw this vulnerable, soft Karen, somebody I really wanted to connect with, really liked her. Well, then I joined you for lunch. Then I saw this demanding, telling the waiters whatever she wants, Karen, and I did not want to connect with her. And I'm like, but I was the timekeeper that day. I needed to keep things together. But his point was that clearly I wasn't very likeable, because I was telling them what we needed, what we didn't need. And then he said, then I saw this Karen that came up to me after lunch, leaned toward me and said, I really want to work with you. And he said, that Karen was clear about what she wanted. I wanted to connect with her, and she was really well defined. I was really blown away by that observation. And that's why you pay big money for therapy, right? (laughs) All right. So, keep in mind it's okay to have needs. Anybody remember the Runaway Bride? That movie with Julia Roberts? I don't know if you remember this, but there's this kind of theme that's woven throughout about how every guy she dates, she orders eggs the way they like them. And toward the end of that movie, somewhere in there, somebody asks her, "Well, what are you going to do now?" You know, she's run away with all of <laughs> away from all these guys. And she goes, "You know what? I'm going to figure out how I like my eggs done." So I implore you to figure out how you like your eggs done and determine and honor that for yourself. And by the way, it'll be a lot easier to go out with people at restaurants. You won't be like, well, I don't care whatever you want. I want them scrambled. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> okay. I don't care what you want. <laughs> so let's look at now we're linear folks. Number two, how does God see me? So we just looked at how do we see ourselves? How do we hide? How does God see us? God said in his word that we are the apple of his eye. He says that he counts every tear that we shed. And for me lately, that's been a lot. I would have lost track, actually. And I haven't really cried yet. I brought up this whole box, but I haven't used it yet. Anyway, in Psalm 8, verse 5, it says that he has crowned us with glory and honor. So I have a little tiara here. And somebody gave this to me 10 years ago. I use it all the time. I wear it around. I walk around at home like, I'm Miss America. Okay. So I want you to just, as I want to hold this up just representing each of us. And I'd like you to actually join me. Just pretend that you have a tiara here right now. Because this is how God sees you. And just go ahead and place it on your head. Because this is how God sees us. We are princesses in his kingdom. We are his beloved daughters. And we need to remember that, especially when we're going through hard times. Keep that in mind. Keep wearing that tiara. In Genesis 26, it says he created us in his image. 26 verse 27, or 26 verse 27, I think. And then he, he notices what I said related to the God counting every tears, just so you know that reference, that's Psalm 56, 8. And that's one that I've looked at quite a bit. And we're a masterpiece. Psalm 139 says we are a masterpiece. There is just countless, I could, I could be talking all day, probably all month for all the promises that he has in his word for how great we are and how much he loves us. So let me share my first coming out party dating experience. Anybody done speed dating? Anybody admit they've done speed dating? Okay, well, I will say, all right, got another one here. One other person? I know there's more because my friends are in this room. Okay. <laughs> so, but I will not give you away. So I was pretty amazed that it took me 41 years to believe that I was good enough to date somebody that I would like. <laughs> now, it was August of last year that I, I had been doing the online thing and just never met anybody. I kept hearing stories of, oh, somebody else got married. Oh, somebody else got married. Like, <laughs> when is it my turn? But what happened was I decided this speed dating thing, I, I've been talking about it for three years, never would go. Finally decided I'm gonna go. And I had the best time. I had two great dates within the first 2 weeks and for those of you that like instant gratification, like speed dating is the way to go. <laughs> and it was the, the thing is just, it really taught me something. I met an amazing guy there that restored my faith in men. He's now gotten back together with his ex-girlfriend, but that's another story. Okay? But it was just such a great experience for me to actually go there feeling like I wasn't good enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't thin enough. And I got there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I look better than most of these women here. (laughs) I am prettier, I am more stylish, and these men ain't all that either. (laughs) I just have always had this thing in my head that men, like that, that we all have to be models. And that if I'm not a model, I'm not gonna be good enough. But what I forget is I'm not dating an Abercrombie and Fitch model <laughs> or a Calvin Klein model. That's not really what I'm looking for, although it might be nice occasionally. But <laughs> All right, so related to that, just highlighting three things that's really kind of the takeaway of what happened in that last six months, I really finally saw my value, my worth, and even my beauty. And that's kind of a hard one to say out loud because it's like, really? But I can actually say it now, and and believe it now. In the beginning of last year, I set out to to actually recognize those. And the funny thing is, I forgot that I actually made that as a goal. I kind of made it as a goal last January and just put it aside. And then when I reviewed my goals this year, I was like, yeah, that actually came true. And that probably is the most significant thing that's happened to me in the last six months. And realizing that I don't have to strive or prove that I'm lovable. I don't have to convince anybody. I don't wanna convince anybody, to be honest. Why should we, that's that whole striving. And I'm sure a number of us have done that. Whether you're single, whether you're married, have kids, your boss, there's so many different people that we have relationships with that we might be striving toward or trying to prove to somebody that we're good enough. Now, I was at the Knob Hill Spa recently. I got a nice treat from somebody. And I was sitting in the steam room by myself, totally naked, just laying there like, oh, this is great. And for some reason, I was processing all this stuff. I said, what do you want, Karen? And the word peace just came to mind. And then right away, I said, God, what do you want for me? And I heard the word live. And I'm like, wow, that's it. It's all I have to do is live. And I just figured this out now. (laughs) But I want to encourage you all to live. Embrace who you are and live and be free. I feel like I've been in prison for so long. And that's why I feel like I've had this coming out party, which is pretty darn exciting. Well, I actually um, have had the most transformational, unexpected six days this week, starting on Sunday. So I met somebody. This is the time to get excited. Like, <laughs> and um, it shocked me. I met this guy online on this website, Christian website, by the way, called Love and Seek. I highly recommend it. I just signed up two weeks ago. I've already had two dates. Okay, so, so I was in Chicago this week. And anyway, first I was in Minneapolis visiting my mom. And I was in my parents', or my mom's, whatever, kitchen. And I. <laughs> First of all, this guy, when I saw his profile, I thought, wow, he's really cute, but how bizarre. He's got like all these heavy metal band things, and Iron Maiden, ACDC, this is not who I am, never who I was, don't want to be that. And he had this picture of a motorcycle, just like total, like kind of Harley dude. And I'm thinking, and I'm not gonna respond to this guy. Well, he was pretty persistent with me, and he was so hilarious in his emails. I thought, I cannot, This is like there's this magnetism. I, I have to talk to this guy. So basically, the past six days, I have been either on the phone or chatting with this guy, and we had a date. We had our first fight before we met. <laughs> and he, he told me I sabotage relationships. He told me, who hurt you in the past? I want to know what happened and when, because you are afraid that this is going to work, and you are, you're pulling away. And I'm like, oh, nobody tells me what to do. <laughs> So he completely, like, shut me out of the, the whole I am chatting thing. And anyhow, long story short, I was up four, till 4.30 in the morning on the phone. I'm supposed to leave for a flight to Chicago from Minneapolis. My mom is 83 years old, very just spark or what do you call it? Um, I don't can't think. What's the word? Spry. And she's trying to sleep. She comes down. She's like, how are you going to get Get up. Get up? I'm like, mom, I'm just just a few more minutes. I'm just gonna hang out. Don't worry, I'll go to bed. And then at five o'clock, she comes in and she is mad. She's been mad at me twice in my life that I've known. Like she's such a like just gentle, you know, accept everybody. She comes in, she's like, you hang up that phone now, or I'm gonna pull the plug. (laughs) I'm like, I'm 42 years old. And my parents like And I didn't have the heart to tell her, Mom, it's a wireless phone. Anyway, crazy making, absolute crazy making, and of course she just said I'm so worried about you that I can't sleep. I was like, okay, so then I hung up, then I go into my, <laughs> my old bedroom and I call him under the covers. I'm like, J-. <laughs> I, like I think I'm being disrespectful to my mom now, <laughs> I really think I need to hang up." Anyway, I really think I need... I don't know if you heard me. I said, I really think I need to hang up now for real. Okay, so anyhow, long story. We meet meet in Michigan. This guy is pursuing pursuing me like I have never been pursued before. And I'm telling you, ladies, if you have not had that experience and there's still time for you, you... I mean... please erase that from the recording? (laughs) Forget I said that. Okay, I was trying to like, I'm trying to be inclusive to all audiences here. Okay, but here's what I, this guy is like, I want you, I know what I want. I've wanted an ENFP for the last 10 years. And I'm like, we are going to be talking about this on on Coffee Talk. He is so obsessed with the Myers-Briggs, it's insane. He's like... (laughs) And I thought I was obsessed with the Myers-Briggs. He's completely lecturing to me. I'm like, you know what? You need to stop talking about this. I can't even think anymore. So you're too detailed. He's a rational, rational, yeah. Okay, but I want to read this to you because, and I say all this about all these stories because dating these guys has helped me see who I am. And the coolest part is that I set out to do this to get to know myself. Who am I and what do I want? And I just pray that we could all have such an incredible email like this. And I'm telling you, it seems like this came out of the blue, like God can move in a moment of days, but I have been praying about this for 42 years. He says, he says here in one of his recent emails, and he sent me many, by the way, why am I saying all of these feely, feeling things? Strange, it is almost like some sort of complimentary type attribute is influencing this tough guy, who used to wear ACDC shirts. He gave me his ACDC shirt um, on Thursday night. Okay, he says, You're a sweetheart, Karen, and you mean so much to me. And other things may process through your mind in the coming weeks and months, and that is all fine, and perhaps even necessary. But don't expect me to give up easily if things perhaps become a bit challenging, because that is not in my makeup. I do believe that I have finally found my mind mate after a very long, very, very long search. And I also believe that you have found your soul mate. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and he says, Boy, nothing too overconfident about that now, is there? But I would not have said it if I didn't believe it. And this all may indeed seem to come across a little bit strong and forward. But by now, I've known him six days. <laughs> But by now, you certainly know my next line, I could care less. And I love that because there's a strength, it sounds a little bit snotty, but the if you know his character, the whole what he has taught me is that he is so defined. He knows what he wants. I've never really been with a man who knows what he wants. I feel like most of the men that I've been with are, are somewhat passive and are indecisive. And so for somebody like me who is really indecisive, It's amazing to be with such strength, and he really challenges me. I don't want to tell you all about it, but the point is, it's just been an incredible journey. And I think the irony is that the person that suggested I really honor my heart last fall, that was for a a guy that I was convinced. If you had asked me a week ago, I would have told you he's the guy I want to marry. Now I don't know. (laughs) So it's interesting how God throws these surprises at us. Well, let's move on. How does God, we're talking about how God sees us. And it's so important to, to be ourselves. Just a second here. Think about, <clears throat> let's see, hold on one second. I totally digressed as usual. Okay, and thinking about Ephesians 4, 7. He has given each one of us a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. And I really believe that there's this intersection between our greatest strength and our greatest passion and they come together and that's where our gifts lie. So think about, and this is in your handout there, when am I displaying the greatest version of myself? When am I displaying the greatest version of myself? For me, it's honestly when I'm up here speaking. This has been a dream of mine for as long as Coffee Talk has existed. So it's all about timing. And here I am today. I think Cheryl was shocked when she called me and asked me to speak. And I said, this has been a dream of mine for so long. She's like, really? (laughs) Most people are are resisting to get up on stage. But I love an audience. And I have to say, though, I I do believe that this is a time when I display the greatest version of myself, really at my core. Same way when I'm singing, whether it's up on the worship team or in the shower, I really feel that that's when I display that greatest version of myself. So when do you, take a moment just to jot that down, when do you display the greatest version of yourself and think about the gifts that you have and that God has given you? And if you're not sure, I can totally understand that and I can completely relate. So I encourage you to go before God and ask, What are my gifts, Lord? What are my gifts? When do I feel most like me? Who remembers The Lake House? That movie with Sandra Bullock? I love that movie. And there's this great line in there when she, she's a doctor and she's really harried, it's really busy, and a more seasoned doctor says to her when she before she takes a weekend off, and she goes, You go somewhere that you feel most like yourself. So in thinking about, as you explore who you are, think about, well, where do I feel most like myself? Where do I feel most sort of in my power, in my identity, however you want to think about it. So that's number two. Let's move on to number three as we wrap up here. What can I do about it? So, okay, you know how you you look, you're aware now. How do I see myself? You know how God sees you, but so what? Okay, great, that's all theory perhaps in, in our minds, but now let's, how can we move into that? And when you think about God's word, it talks about how we need to work out our salvation. We need to walk in faith. So think about how we might do that. And here's a couple of ways. First thing I would suggest that you do is you ask God, just honestly just sit down and say, God, show me my heart. Sometimes we look, well, what do I want, all of that, and that's all within that category. But that was really profound for me, to say, oh, God, what am I about? And and what is in my heart? I don't even know sometimes. It's important to accept yourself, the good and the bad, and to remember that God accepts us, flaws and all, warts and all, as, as they often say. So be who you are. Pour out your heart to him. Psalm 62, 8 says, Pour out your heart before him. And recently, I was encouraged, actually, by three different people in the last four months to be real before God. And I think I always thought that God was this authority figure. I knew he, I mean, he is, but I knew that he loved me. I, I I don't think that I really saw the fact that I could actually sort of be angry at him. I thought that that wasn't a good thing because, well, we shouldn't be angry with with authority figures. And... I don't know if anybody's here for Pastor Paul Conti speaking at the end of December, but he was talking, too, about being real before God. Not the person that you think God wants you to be, but the person that you actually are. Because, as I learned recently, you know, God's in the room. (laughs) He can hear these conversations when you're frustrated and you're angry. So what I did recently, I've, I've probably yelled in my entire life, maybe I could count with one hand how many times I've yelled or raised my voice to a point where I was really yelling. So I went to the beach After midnight, I was with a friend. My mom's like, were you with somebody? Yes, mom, I was. But I was yelling out to God, and it was so powerful to stand on this cliff and just like yell my heart out to him. And I felt, when I left, I felt like I could do anything. I'm like, I love this yelling stuff. (laughs) I'm going to do this more. So now I started doing it in my car and everywhere I can go when, you know, when nobody's hearing me. I don't want anybody to hear me necessarily. But pour out your heart to God. He can handle it. He can handle it. And he already knows where you're at. So think about where could you go to to yell out, if that's what you need to do. Or journal. A lot of us journal. Pour out your heart to him in writing. And if anybody here feels lonely or empty or purposeless, I just want to validate that. And I'll tell you, for me, about three months ago, as much as I always was kind of put on the perfect face, like, I'm happy, everything's great, and only my true true friends really knew where I was at, I finally admitted that I was lonely to this support group of people that I have in Orange County with John Townsend, and that was unbelievably freeing to me. It was unbelievably freeing. And let people into your pain. Be vulnerable. The irony is a lot of times we don't want to be vulnerable because we don't really want people to know Where we're coming from, we want to look good and and have that sort of image going on. But if we can be vulnerable with others, the irony is, when we're vulnerable with people, they will be vulnerable with us. And amazing things happen. Connection. (laughs) So take that risk. Do it with safe people. See, people that you consider to be safe and that you trust, of course. Be aware of pride. That was a big problem for me. And the way, as far as being grounded in reality, and here's one of the takeaways, I would suggest that you pick your favorite scripture verse. And for the next week, you reflect on that every day. Write it down somewhere that you will remember it and where it's prominent. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's at your bedside. But write that down and reflect on it. And last, it was two years ago, for three weeks, I committed to this verse, Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever dare to ask or think. Every day, I ask God to pull out a word for me within that phrase. And I remember even thinking, wow, how's God going to do this, you know? 21 days, and that's not 21 phrases. How's he going to do it? Every day, even though there were multiple times different words stood out, he always spoke to me. Always. And I was, again, constantly amazed and surprised. So I would encourage you to do that. And I will just wrap up here with a short story related to dancing. I was down at a Lake Avenue church in Pasadena, and this pastor was talking about dancing. And he said, you know, a lot of times when we're taking dancing classes, you know, whichever way we do this here, you know, he says we're looking down at our feet and we're paying attention to the steps and it's, the reality is, God doesn't want us to be that concerned about everything, doing everything perfectly and paying attention to every step. He just wants us to dance freely. So I encourage you to dance freely in your journey. And I want to show a, um, before you put this up, Kim, I just want to introduce a dear friend of mine sent me a card recently, and it was so apropos for this whole speaking engagement. And let's just take a look at this up here on the slide. After all that, she was surprised to find that she still knew the words to the song in her heart and she began to sing along. And the part that you can't see up there unless you have like really intense, really good vision, says she happily set free her heart. And on the purse, it says peace. So I encourage you to find your peace today. I was going to ask, do you, is from a timing perspective, do you want to skip the song? What do you think? Okay, all right. I want to give you all a challenge because I got a little long-winded with all my stories. We were going to play a song called The Real Me by Natalie Grant. If you have not heard this song, please find it and listen to it. I can almost assure you that you will be blessed by this song. And just take some time to reflect on it and think about how God is speaking to your heart in that. So I'm just going to pray briefly and then hand it over. Is that good? Okay. Lord, thank you so much for this time that you've given and thank you for just everybody's patience with the time here as we um, have been a little challenged today. And I thank you for your grace. Thank you for healing my heart. And I pray, Lord, that each woman here would embrace her real self, the self that you created. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.